Hello and welcome to Passing for Normal, where who knows what normal is anymore. I'm your host, Sharon Weil, and during this time of coronavirus uncertainty, sheltering at home, and social isolation, I'm bringing you a special series of helpful insights and practices from experienced body-focused practitioners in order to keep you healthy, protected, and calm beyond face masks and hand sanitizer. Today, my guest is Bobby Ellis, founder of Soma Yoga, continuum somatic educator, body worker, and hands-on healer. And we're going to be talking about recovering from coronavirus and what tools she personally used to recover when she became ill in March of this year. So welcome, Bobby. Thank you for having me, Sharon. Well, first of all, I'm so glad that you're with us and that you're feeling healthy and strong and that you've made a full recovery. You are, you, you're, you are feeling good and strong, right? Yes, I am. And I'm still in a space of learning about my body now that I've come out of the illness, which I'll have an opportunity to talk to you about as we go along. Yeah, that's exactly what I want to be talking about. And I'm especially interested in having this conversation with you because of that, because you have so many ways of working with your body and your health. And I'm very curious about how you use all of your experience um, in moving through this. Absolutely. Great. So I just want to say that you live in New Jersey, which is was a, the early epicenter or a early epicenter of the viral infection. Yes, and there are still many, many people getting infected here. I'm 50 minutes outside of New York, so it's a very close, concentrated area. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me what happened in terms of uh, you uh, getting the virus and getting ill? Well, on March 16th, I was grocery shopping. I, I felt a little tired that day, um, and that isn't always abnormal for me because I am a Lyme's disease survivor, I'll say. Mm -hmm. So I have some ways that my immune system gives me information. And one of the ways is feeling a little tired and knowing that I need to take better care of myself. So I wasn't really thinking it was anything uh, out of the ordinary. But when I came home from grocery shopping and putting the groceries away, I decided that I would just lie down and that was the beginning of staying pretty much reclined except for moving to the bathroom and coming back to the bed and taking some hot baths um, for about 22 to 24 days. Wow, wow. Yeah. There were symptoms uh, that seemed to change every few days. So the first one was just a uh, a little sore throat and very tired. Then it went into a lot of dry coughing. There was a sensation in my nose that was nothing I've ever experienced before. It was way in the back of my nose. It was almost like the virus was settling in that part of my nose and my throat. Then I couldn't really smell anything and, and couldn't taste any mm -hmm. food, of which I completely lost my appetite because there was an experience of heavy nausea, of which I did vomit and have some diarrhea at a certain point in the 
24 days. Also had a fever. The highest fever was 104. Wow, that's high. And yeah, for an adult it is. Mm-hmm. And um, my general practitioner recommended that I go to the emergency room. Uh, and it was late at night. And my husband checked in with the emergency room. And they had a really long wait. So I couldn't see myself the way I was feeling sitting in an emergency room waiting to be seen by a doctor, of which I probably couldn't get any real help anyway. So I stayed home and I rode out the fever. One of the ways that I worked with myself was to um, cover myself so that I, w- that I would sweat quite a bit, mm-hmm. which helped to break the fever. I also was taking um, hot baths with Epsom salt, which I think helped because another symptom that I had was tremendous body aches and especially settling in the lower part of the back of my ribs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. 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 And then yeah. what, a, what about, uh, what about your breathing? At a certain point, and, and, you know, it's hard to um, to do the timeline in this because it, it's almost like just a big blur of things because I was not, I was so unwell. But at some point, I couldn't really take a breath, a really deep inhale. It wasn't like I couldn't breathe, but something in my chest was not allowing me to take a deep breath. And then I had to... Uh, ride out the fear factor of all of that, which I think that my somatic practices, my uh, my experience in yoga, and all of the ways that I have um, explored breathing helped me. So I became really curious about how much air and how much space for the air there was in my lungs. Mm-hmm. And I would just, I wouldn't force the inhale at all. And by the way, I laid on my side a lot because laying on your back is, you know, you're getting 40% less oxygen when you lay on your back. So important, that's my, an important thing for people to know. I don't know that everyone knows that. Yeah, it's really, because more of your lungs are in the back of your body. Because in the front, at the lower part of where your lungs end, all of your organs are there. Mm-hmm. like your liver, your gallbladder, pancreas, spleen, and stomach. So they're shorter in the front than they are in the back. So getting yourself off your back and on your side. Some people like to be on their stomach, which they're now doing in the hospitals. They call it proning, mm-hmm. um, of of which uh, people are, are breathing more into their back body. I don't really like being on my stomach, so being on my side was fine. Mm-hmm. And then I got really interested in how much air I could actually take in without forcing anything. And I tracked it. And the the tracking is just following how much volume of air could I easily take in. So part of the somatic way that I worked with myself in terms of breathing is I became really interested in what what I was capable of not what I wasn't able to do. Mm. And that really shifted the quality of my fear experience, you know, because my body was still breathing. It wasn't like I couldn't breathe at all, of which I was paying attention to, because, of course, if that happened, I would have had to have perhaps done something different, you know. 
Right, but and the, then I, I would... the idea that you're talking but, about, about paying attention to what you can do rather than what you can't do, I mean, it's such a it's such a leading principle in general for anything, right? Absolutely. And, and it, it was the, what I'll call the saving grace of being able to uh, stay with myself through something comp- very difficult. Mm-hmm. It was very difficult. I mean, there were times where I was crying because it was really tough and just allowing myself to have that wash in emotion was helpful too. So what I did is I just opened up a, a, a great amount of just being with whatever came up. So when I, going back to the breath, when I would inhale to a certain point, and then I would start to slow the exhale down a lot. And in the beginning of starting to do this, the exhale was almost like it was a staccato. It was like, <laughs> and I, I believe that that was just the fear that had accumulated in my system from you know, the unknown, not really knowing what was going to happen. And as I just became more interested in that exhale, it started to smooth itself out. Mm-hmm. Then I would, then I would like hover at the bottom of the exhale. Like when I felt like I hadn't, I had no more exhale without pushing. I was, I got out of trying to make something happen and I just became really aware of what was happening and how I could work with that space that I had. And then I would just say, well, what, what would happen if I just hung out in this bottom of the exhale and just really was in a space of noticing my lungs like when do my lungs want to take that inhale not me trying to force it from that place of fear or wanting to grasp on you know life and all the ways that we do that but what if I just hung out here at the bottom of the exhale and waited So it gave me an opportunity to have some patience so that the wisdom of my body, because I believe from this whole experience, the wisdom of my body was really working it, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, it might not have looked that way because of all the things that were happening that we could put in the bag of really negative, but I think my system was really trying to help me out. And then all of a sudden, the breath started coming back in. It was almost like a blossoming. And over time, that started to regulate the the experience of, of uh, panic that I had in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I just rested in that breathing for days and days. And over time, when I started to feel better, when I started to come out of it, I would say it was probably like day 20 or something, I started to feel like I could sit up and wow. walk across the room. I mean, you know, I would walk across the room and get to the other side of the room. I don't have a big house. You've been here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, it's, you know, I would be exhausted. Mm-hmm. And I would just have to put my hands on the counter and just figure, okay, I have to get back to the bed now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? So when I started to be able to move um, where I had a little bit of energy coming back in, I noticed that my uh, breath capacity was moving up. In other words, every few days I was able to take a little bit more air in, you know, and it Mm -hmm. started coming up into the upper part of the lungs and the lower part of the lungs. And it wasn't until about two weeks ago that I felt like this, uh, there was this 
it, it was like a sensation in the back of my throat. Uh, it's still there occasionally, but it's starting to really dissipate. Like I had lots of mornings when I was feeling better where I would get up and I would be coughing because of this sensation in the back of my throat. And it wasn't like it was, uh, I didn't have much um, expulsion of mucus or anything like that. It was, it was, it was very bizarre. I have never had something like that because normally if I have something that's um, respiratory related, there will be some phlegm and, and some mm-hmm. things to expel. Yeah. And it, it wasn't like that. Mm. There was nothing. Mm. But it, it just, you know, your body was trying to relieve something, but it wasn't showing up as it would usually, you know. Wow. Wow. So, um, so when you talk about tracking your sensations and you talk about mm-hmm. you know, sort of getting curious, you know, and moving beyond the fear place, because a lot of times we have symptoms and we say, oh, no, I'm sick. And then and in this case, the message about the severity of this virus, um, you know, can create so much fear, let alone the actual symptoms of high fever and discomfort and not being able to breathe. So can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by tracking and how you actually do that? What awareness do you bring in that allows you to stay curious rather than being afraid or just saying, oh, I know what this is? That's a really good question. Um, So I could use it in the way that I did when I was sick. I mean, I'm tracking myself all the time, but I can use it in the way that I did when I was not feeling well, where I, I noticed that I was feeling afraid. And I was having all kinds of thinking going on about that fear. So what I did is I tried to just separate the thoughts from the attention part of my mind. And I started to bring that attention to my inhale. Like we could just do that for a few moments. Just seeing we could do just a little practice together. Right now you're saying? Yeah, just right now. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. taking a night, an inhale, but you're only inhaling to the capacity of your body. You're trying to work with not pushing anything and just doing it nice and easy. It's soft and you're paying attention to the movement of your body. Like when you bring air into your lungs, it creates volume in the lungs, right? The lungs ha- have to have more space to bring the air in and all of your bones and soft tissue, connective tissue, are moving in a variation of ways to accommodate making that space. And that's, the, that's what I started to become aware of, is all the ways that my body was moving in variations to make that space for the inhale. And then when I started to exhale... I started to track or pay attention or follow the same thing. Like, so the volume was getting smaller. And then how did I, what did I notice in terms of the movement of my body as the air was leaving? And then in that place of uh, no air or very little air, let's say, I just hovered there for a little while until my body breathed me. And over a period of time, if you do this as a practice of curiosity, discovery, 
and attention, openly paying attention, it, it becomes, your body starts to regulate itself. So we don't really have to do anything over a period of time. It starts to do it for us because there's a tremendous amount of wisdom in the biology of, of ourselves that's separate from what we might do to ourselves. So mm-hmm. it's like participating with. And the tracking piece is just following with, my, with the attention part of my mind how my body is accommodating the breathing. And if we really stay with it, for me, I start to notice that there's so many variations in how my body starts to move. just doing that for a few more moments and when I started to pay attention in that way the fear thinking dissipated because I started trusting something about the wisdom of my breathing Mm -hmm. that was helping me out Mm -hmm. you know and that was really important for me and then my husband actually got the virus as well so he and I were doing this breathing together, and it was creating a, fi- a field or an environment for ourselves that was less fear-based. Like we didn't watch the news; we weren't, you know, we just went into this almost like a cocoon of uh, biological wisdom, where we just allowed the body to do its thing. Sometimes it wasn't pleasant, but <laughs> <laughs> it was an important process, and. You know, it taught me something about my body and and the way in which I'm in relationship to it that I'm still tracking and being in experience with because I still get a little bit more tired than usual. Like, there's a place in the day that uh, I know that I have to rest. And I've always known that from having Lyme's disease, but now it's become even more apparent to me to just give my, you know, I think as a culture, you know, the doing aspect of life is very high and the resting aspect can be lower unless we're sleeping. So taking, becoming much more important in the realm of just taking time to rest. And and whenever I rest, I go into a space of just tracking, just paying attention you know, of my breathing, of any sensations that are going on in my body. So, you know, you mu- there might be some discomfort somewhere, there might be an incredible spaciousness, there might be some warmth, or there might be coolness, or there might be some movement happening inside my body, because the body is mostly water, so the water is always moving in some way, because we're the internal part of ourselves is in a, a constant state of information exchange, taking one thing and bringing it over here, taking another thing and bringing it over there, and the regulation of our inner uh, explorations and experiences like digestion and blood and lymph and all of the fluids. And that's always happening underneath our awareness or the way that we uh, think and, and move in the modern world. So coming in relationship to that part of ourselves gives us so many resources to live a a deeper embodied life, like really paying attention to 
what my body is offering me in terms of its language. And the language is sensation. Your body is not talking to you in words. Your mind is. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, like going back to that really low order of just just pure experience before you're even making it something that has meaning and words to it can be an important process. And, And I think it's lifelong, whether we're... Uh, moving through an illness or in a pandemic and not really knowing what the end point is or what the changes are going to be in how we live as a culture. Right. And not knowing how we live as a culture, but knowing how we can live as a body. Absolutely. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we look at that globally, right, how is the planet going to live as well? Can we be in deeper harmony with it? Because as you see, uh, pollution is down and there's all kinds of things that are happening in the natural world without us in a certain way. Yes, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. The, the, the earth and our environment is able to breathe. You know, was, we're being challenged to breathe and the, the earth is being... Uh, freer to breathe right Mm -hmm. and so how I think that I was just going to say how can we make that uh, full exchange right (laughs) like breathing with breathing together Uh yeah Yeah. being more in harmony and balance and I think that that's the deeper wisdom of this virus is to awaken our our care of where we live yeah and, and and not not only where we live, like on the planet, but where we live, we're, we're living in a body. So mm-hmm. it's our body on a body as a planet, you know, and being in harmony is, I think, is probably one of the most important things that we could explore. And yeah. so do you feel that you found harmony within, at, in your, in this uh, writing, this this uh, process with the virus is that what you would say ultimately you found harmony how would you how would you say uh, what lessons you've learned from this process well I think that harmony maybe comes and goes because you know everything is moving and changing I know you wrote that great book about changeability so I don't think that I'm in a constant state of harmony, but what I do know coming out of this is that I'm in a uh, deeper relationship of trust with how my body is helping me out, whether it's uh, showing me something that I may need to tend to or giving me information about a way that I am in an environment or how I need to move in terms of going fast or going slow or even stopping. Um, so I'm, I think that I, it's the quest of listening that is the lesson. It's, it's really just continuing to listen. And I don't mean with ears, I mean with the, the attention part of your mind to really pay attention to the messages that the body is offering you. And, and the body can offer you beautiful messages of creativity and uh, moving more gracefully in the world. 
Absolutely. And it's not just the listening, but it's also the um, heeding what you hear. You know, when your body indicates that it's time to rest, to actually rest and not to override, you know, so often in our busy lives, we're overriding those messages that we're getting about it's time to rest. Yeah, 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 but I got too much to do, right? And so the idea of not just listening, but either choosing to to heed that call or in some in some cases like if you're really slam sick being forced to exactly and you know sometimes we don't have a choice in that and and how i try to work with myself is if i have something that i'm doing like a project that has some sort of an endpoint to it that i have to meet and i may need to override some of the ways that i want to rest i always um, offer a promise to my body that I'll have some rest time after and really, you know, taking that time, even a day to just be in my own rhythm. There's something about taking time to drop into the rhythm of the body rather than the mind and the thinking world and having to create something where we have to um, produce and just being in a rhythm where you sleep and rest when you need to, you eat when you're hungry you you may listen more to the natural world in terms of sun coming up and sun going down and um these this is a deep wisdom of of balance and rhythm that humans were in i guess before the industrial revolution probably even further back but it is a place of revisiting i think and then also moving forward with it in how we live now Absolutely, and and these uh, this quality that you're speaking about these lessons um, apply to uh, any you know aspect of our lives and or working moving through any kind of illness or any kind of compromise as well as just um, finding ways to slow down in our busy habitual driven lives. Right. One of the ways that I have created little, uh, there's there's a way that I do this for a longer period of time, but I do it periodically throughout the day, and it's just just pausing for a moment and really feeling your body's weight in relationship to gravity, because as we know, gravity is uh, what keeps us here. It's a magnetic energy that draws us to the planet, and it, in recent scientific discoveries, they now know that uh, gravity actually has wave motion to it. Mm-hmm. And so so when we are in that expression, we're more supported and connected in whatever it is we're going to do. And it gives us an opportunity to go back to that original state, like when we were babies, when we were just coming out on the birth ride and we were in this place called earth and just getting ourselves comfortable is really being in gravity and that's how we started to be able to move you know if we didn't have that way of being in that original play we wouldn't have been able to move like bring our arm up to touch the person that was with us or grab a bottle or get up on um on our being on our stomach and pushing up 
into the spinal column, all those ways that we started to develop wouldn't have been possible if we weren't in touch with gravity. And it's still very important to the well-being of us as people, even when we get older. So it's not just we do it when we're kids and then it's over. Right. It's right. available to us every every minute of every day, you know. Right. And, you know, as you're describing, when I just take a moment's pause and feel my weight and feel where I'm located, I feel more connected and more supported in whatever I'm about to do next. You know, exactly. so I'm not sort of uh, unconsciously just just moving through or rushing through. I'm actually feeling more connected, right. more present, more supported. Yeah. And, you know, being on the, I mean, being in this pandemic where we're home more, I mean, I'm working on the computer. I'm teaching classes online. Mm -hmm. And I notice that when I'm really engaged in the screen, I'm kind of like a little up off my seat or off my feet. Like there's this upward mm -hmm. and outward feeling. And I, I keep bringing myself back to that gravity and then, and then reestablishing my relationship with the computer and the screen. And it's very helpful. You can't do it enough. <laughs> right. Can't do it enough. And it also communicates. I mean, it, it transmits to whoever it is you're, you're teaching or talking to on the other end of the screen, right? They feel, they can feel that. They can feel you being more present or more embodied or more dropped down rather than exactly. pulling forward. Yeah, that has been a really interesting piece teaching online uh, where, uh, you know, I was a little hesitant and um, wasn't sure how it was going to go because I do all of my teaching live. I travel and I have a studio, so I wasn't sure how that piece, what you just described, the transmission of mm -hmm. experience was going to go. But I think that it is possible even on the Internet. It's very possible, and I think that a lot of people are discovering that. And one of the, you know, one of the, um, you know, discoveries during this during this sheltering time is that we really can uh, reach one another and feel the resonant quality of the connection, even though there's we're only talking through screens. You can feel one another. Exactly. And I think that that's a way of keeping the well of wellness going. You know, even though we have this virus around and in some places it's a little more than others, how do we keep a well of wellness in our lives? And we may have to learn new skills. You know, if, if we're just looking at when we can get out, and back to what we're calling normal, which I don't know if that's existing anymore or if there was ever a normal. <laughs> it's an ever-shifting normal, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That, you know, how can we begin to learn skills in this particular uh, situation, right? Because this is a change, and how can we have what you so beautifully call changeability? And, and being in, at home, how do we develop skills to be able to continue to feel well at whatever way we can? You know, yeah. and I think that sometimes these very 
little practices are um, helpful. And I want to say that this way of being more somatically connected and uh, more in the continuum of your own experience, that it's a very vast and deep level of work. So this is just a very small piece of a larger thing, you know. Absolutely. And it's a perfect segue for me to ask you to let our listeners know how people can reach you um, and uh, study with you, find out more about you. And now that you're teaching online, you're more available outside of your area. So um, absolutely. can you tell us, please, how uh, people can get in touch with you? Yes, I do have a website, although my website is, um, it just has to contact me because things are always changing, so I'm not really giving updates on the website. But you can go to the website and get on my email list at somactr.com. So it's S-O-M-A, the abbreviation for center.com. You can also email me at somactr at aol.com. And I love getting phone calls, so if you want to talk with me, it's 732-777-9642. I also have information on continuumteachers.com. I have a page on there. And um, I'm doing lots of wonderful things. I'm going to be teaching a workshop in the Embodied Yoga Summit which is coming up. I have something called the Continuum of Yoga coming at Yoga University. So there's a lot of really wonderful things coming up in terms of teaching online. And I have regular classes every week. So if you're interested, just get in touch. Wonderful. Well, Bobby, I thank you so much. This has been such an incredible conversation. I've learn so much from you and uh, feel much more relaxed and centered um, from this conversation. Thank you, Sharon. I appreciate being on your podcast so much. And thank everyone for listening. Beautiful. And stay well. (laughs) Yes, everyone. Stay well. Yeah. Be safe. Stay well. This has been Passing for Normal, Conversations About Change. If you like our podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or SoundCloud. It helps our audience to grow. To find out more about author Sharon Weil, go to SharonWeilAuthor.com. You can also find out more about the Changeability books and about all the guests featured in this podcast at that website. Large or small, go out today and make a brave change. Dare to bring new ideas forward. Our world needs you right now.